Global warming can be a depressing topic. We're squeezed on one side by its consequences. Things like food shortages, extreme weather, and mass extinctions. We're squeezed on the other side by the cost of solutions, consuming less and growing less. But if we squeeze just right, out pops a magical number, two degrees Celsius. It's big enough to be economically feasible, but small enough that we can prevent nightmare scenarios. But what does it really mean to have a two degree increase in average temperature? Humans aren't the best organisms to answer this question. Because we are endothermic, we have the ability to regulate our body temperature. So when we go visit our cousins in Arizona, our bodies remain at 37 degrees Celsius, despite the heat. But ectothermic animals, who remain at the same temperature as their environment, are not so lucky. If the ocean warms, they warm with it. So to help bridge this ecto-endo divide, I went on a quest. A quest to unite anemones and apes. A quest to find an analogy that could help us connect the unprecedented warming of the ocean to the rare occasions when our own bodies heat up by a couple degrees. The first person I talked to was my friend Ellie. Cool. You know, Skype has all this, this new ringtone. Have you, have you heard it? No, what does that mean? When you called, it was like, do, 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 do. It was all <laughs> groovy. Yeah, she's a goofball, but she knows a lot about ocean science. I just started a PhD program at MIT and the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. I got a Fulbright grant um, doing research on deep sea connectivity. She set me straight on what two degrees ocean warming was all about. It's important, first of all, to recognize that it's two degrees average increase. So you're going to have higher highs and in some case lower lows, but in general the temperature will be rising. Um, and I think, yes, two degrees is massive for the ocean because the, um, the average temperature in the ocean has been relatively stable over the last several thousand years. Um, and even increases of 0.2 you know, degrees Celsius can have a really large effect on marine life. Whoa, 0.2 degrees? Thus far, the analogy isn't looking good human body temperature actually fluctuates about 0.5 degrees every single day. It's lower in the morning and hotter at night. No big deal. So why are small temperature changes such a big deal for marine life? A lot of the processes that happen inside of an animal um, are really largely determined by temperature. So things like how fast an enzyme works. As a general rule, we say when temperature increases, metabolic process speeds up including how quickly animals grow up. But some, like crabs, are busy migrating from one part of the world to another while they are developing. You know, you have, um, say, a crab that's released as an egg at point A, and usually it makes it all the way to point B before it's an adult. But if it becomes an adult too soon, it won't make it all the way to point B. So if you grow up too fast, you pop out as an adult in some foreign place you were never supposed to be. And even worse, it might be at the wrong time. And this could be a bad thing because what if the food that the larvae is supposed to eat hasn't bloomed yet? Say there's an algae bloom that usually also correlates to a certain time of year. But then it's warmer earlier, so the animals will breed, and then they won't actually have the food that they need. And then you end up with essentially a large die-out of, of that particular cohort. So animals wind up at the wrong time in the wrong place which leads to even bigger problems. Say you have one kind of crab that's shown up in an, in an ecosystem where it never used to be before, 
and there's one crab in that ecosystem that acts as the major predator on, you know, on certain species. And now there's competition between those two crab species, and you're going to have twice the predation on some of the lower trophic levels. And so you really throw off some of the ecosystem balance from doing that. And it's not just the lower trophic levels. These rain shifts are already having a huge impact on the United States. We've seen, even already off of sort of the northeast of the United States, there's been a shift in the range of lobsters. And the lobster fishery, as you may know, is quite a lucrative business. Um, and it's pretty important for not just the economy, but also the identity of a lot of, a lot of regions in the northeast. And so as you see these, you know, the range of these lobsters shift, you can imagine how that will impact the lobstermen and, you know, as well as impacting the ecosystem. And it's not just lobsters who are moving, it's diseases as well. It's bad news for fish who haven't seen them before. This isn't unlike when, say, you travel somewhere new and you have to get all of your vaccinations because you're going to be encountering, uh, you know, diseases that you hadn't encountered before. Well, these fish or these invertebrates aren't getting that type of inoculation before they're exposed to the diseases, so they're really highly susceptible. Not only have they missed their appointments at the travel clinic, but they're already more likely to get sick due to the warming ocean. Because they're struggling to sort of compensate and deal with this temperature pressure, they're not as, you could say, fit or they're not as healthy as they normally are. And also, just like humans, when they're stressed out, they're more susceptible to getting sick. Just like humans, you say? This was finally starting to sound like something that might relate to an analogy with the human body. Uh, my name's Will. I'm... Uh second-year medical student at uh, University of Michigan, uh, health, uh, health, local health expert. <laughs> Good. It was time to call a close friend in med school and try to make this analogy work. Uh, we got our old friend, Papa, Papa Whiskey, so. <laughs> okay, well done, well done. Um, I, I, I got to grab a mug real quick. Will was celebrating the end of his first year of med school. With him, a fellow first-year, Mike. You're going to be the principal responder. I'll be a consultant in case you need help. <laughs> okay. Okay, right, we'll do that. I'm right. just going to sit here sipping my whiskey time. <laughs> These okay, two jokesters on. were the key to my analogy to see if the impact of two degrees warming on the human body was anything like two degrees warming for marine life. We started out with an introduction to fever. The basic way to think about it is sort of an adaptive response as part of your immune system and, and trying to sort of augment your immune system. Your hypothalamus as part of your brain has sort of, uh, it's like this control region for temperature in your body. Ah, the hypothalamus, the famous thermostat that is usually set to 37 degrees, but can get raised on purpose during a fever. And what happens with fever is that um, your set point, it, controlled by your hypothalamus, that set point changes. Um, and it's, it's a response uh, to pathogens, to infection, to sort of any sort of type of disease, um, and, and also other, other sort of uh, events that we consider bad events for the body. And the idea that that fever response, by raising your temperature, it's going to help out your immune system in fighting off this disease, fighting off the infection. Or as Mike said between sips of whiskey. Yeah, so the pathogens have a narrow range of uh, temperature that they can survive at. So the idea is that your body is trying to jack the temperature up to, um, to kill them. Well said, Mike. But the increased temperature doesn't only kill bugs. 
It boosts the immune system. Um, it increases enzymatic activity. So the enzymes in your body uh, work faster, specifically those in white blood cells. They have improved ability to target uh, pathogens and sort of digest them and, and kill the pathogens. So the increased enzyme activities, which were so bad in the long term for our crab friends, are actually good for our body in the short term. And they're also bad for the bugs that infect us. That increased enzymatic activity can sometimes cause them to sort of implode on themselves or um, also just not function properly at all. Maybe the if the temperature gets high enough, the enzymes could break down and degrade. And so uh, an example of that is uh, STDs like gonorrhea and syphilis, they're uh, killed very easily by high temperatures. Okay, so our human-to-ocean analogy is not looking very good. It's making coral reef the equivalent of gonorrhea. And even ectothermic iguanas appear to want in on the fever action. And what you'll actually see with these iguanas, I think, is yeah. that they will actually stay in the sun longer and raise their body temperature higher to allow them uh, to fight the pathogen, right? When they're part of right. So, so this is highly conserved, and so there's a lot of evidence that this is really a beneficial, a beneficial uh, response. Awesome. So thus far, for the purposes of my essay, this is all completely counterproductive because it's making global warming sound awesome. So <laughs> My last trump card was childhood fever, a case I knew where increased temperature could have severely negative effects. The, the fever response can lead to negative effects <laughs> in children at as little as even 2 degrees Celsius. Uh, you can have children coming up with seizures and other possible um, brain damage uh, results in, in response to the, the increases in temperature even that low. In adults, um, it, it takes a little bit of a higher temperature to cause damage, but um, if, if you start to get up uh, 4 degrees Celsius higher, so to 41 degrees Celsius and higher, um, the, you can start to get enzyme breakdown and more severe sickness, and the big concern is brain damage associated with these higher temperatures. One example of where fever um, it can be a real severe problem uh, that we see most in the developing world is with malaria. Uh, malaria can induce really, really high fevers in children and uh, that can lead to, uh, as uh, William said, uh, severe brain damage and even seizures and even potentially death. And what you'll end up seeing is that that'll actually cognitively impair the children permanently. Uh, actually, the professor that I'm working with this summer in Uganda is actually working on cognitive rehabilitation with, the, with children who are affected by malaria. I was getting closer to some sort of connection. Back to Ellie. Talking about the brain shifts of diseases is totally pertinent for humans because um, you see, you know, you just mentioned malaria, like the, the what is it, the, the elevation line, the mosquito line is, is really high now compared to sea level. Like they've, they're going into areas where they haven't before. So you have whole swaths of Africa that's being exposed to malaria that didn't used to have malaria. Okay, so global warming increases the prevalence of malaria and malaria causes warming inside children called fever and this fever leads to brain damage and lifelong cognitive impairments. Guess that's something, but not exactly the link I was looking for. I went back to Will for some help. Okay, so this is related to global warming, right? Yeah. So, so this is how I see it, where there could be actually a really strong connection. So in response to sort of natural events, your body will raise its temperature, and that's, that's a natural recurrence, and it can be beneficial. And, and uh, the idea for humans is it's adaptive. With the globe... The natural response to certain things like increased, you know, cloud cover and carbon dioxide, the natural response is to raise the temperature. 
And that normally, you maintain a homeostasis by doing that, right? An intriguing idea. Fever is natural, and so are some types of warming, like changes in the Earth's orbit or sunspots. Those are natural as well. So far, so good. What happens is that you raise that too high to what we didn't even talk about, which is hyperthermia. That's hyperthermia. Really, really hot. A state which is damaging to, to humans, where your temperature is above, not only is your set point raised, but it's above even where your set point is. So hyperthermia is actually a pathological heating, a disease, unlike fever. Your temperature has gone shooting up. The heater is cranking away and ignoring the thermostat. Your body is out of control. So this, it's distinct from fever, where there, it's a fever it has a physiological increase in the temperature set point, but the hyperthermia is now where you reach a level that's beyond that. So <clears throat> you're, you're, you're beyond the set point. Pathological warming beyond the set point. I think we found our analogy. Here goes. As horrible as the consequences of two degrees warming are for marine life, coastal fishermen, and agriculture, these are the side effects that our nation's leaders have consciously agreed to. These are the muscle aches, sleepiness, and headaches that accompany a normal adaptive fever. Just like our hypothalamus in the face of gonorrhea, our world leaders have consciously decided to raise the thermostat by two degrees. It's going to be painful, but it's the political and economic reality. However, if we continue to release CO2 at our current rates, what people refer to as business as usual, the wishful two degrees on the thermostat won't matter. We will be on a course towards four degrees or even higher. And once temperatures get to that level, we're in the pathological range of hyperthermia. Hyperthermia can be rapidly fatal. Warming above two degrees will be rapidly fatal as well to marine and land animals around the globe. And with increased food shortages, water shortages, and rising sea levels, it will be fatal to humans as well. Hyperthermia is often caused by exercising while wearing a heavy uniform or too many clothes. The heat has nowhere to go. Unlike extreme fever, which you can treat with a pill like Tylenol, hyperthermia has no easy remedy. You simply need to remove the insulation and hope that the body can recover. Likewise, there is no magic pill we can take to cure global warming. Our only chance is to remove the insulation, which means cutting carbon emissions. Analogy completed.